Thanks, Matt. Well, my name is Trev, and I am here to deliver uh, the word from Revelation, and it's my great honor to do so. I want to begin by just asking you a question. If you've ever wanted to receive a personal message from someone important, you ever, you ever wanted that? You ever emailed somebody? You ever texted somebody? You ever tweeted somebody important, hoping that someone would find your tweet and and respond. I have friends like that who are like, hey, check out the tweet I just got from so-and-so, someone really important, and, and it's a personal message to me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just like you. I would also like to receive personal messages from important people. I remember a couple of years ago, I listened to a particularly uh, powerful video, and so I emailed the person who was in the video and, and somehow they, he returned my email, and then later on I saw in a video interview, he had actually said, at the time I was in a small church in rural Alberta, and he had actually said on the video, I just received some encouragement from a, a pastor in rural Alberta, so I'm thankful that God has sent this out. I was more impressed that he had, like, it, I was like, that's me, that's me. I still can't find the video, so I can't prove it to anyone now, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to any of you. But to me, that was someone important, and it's amazing how eagerly we desire to hear a really personal message from someone important. Like if right now you're listening to this message and you receive a text from someone important, you will stop listening to me, and you will show that your neighbor, look, I just got a text from so-and-so. Here's the cool thing is that that's exactly what's happened in the book of Revelation. This writer, his name is John, he, he had a personal message given to him by the creator of the universe. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's, it's amazing if you go through this story, you see when he first encounters this Jesus, he falls it down as though dead. That's how powerful this is. He's shaking. He's so terrified. Some of us have maybe watched some of these shows where they hunt out ghosts. Ever watch anything like that? I don't recommend it at all, but sometimes when you're on vacation and you're flipping through the channels, it happens, right? Don't judge me. Hypothetically. And, and it's amazing as I watch that there's this kind of terrifying sense that I get. I can't imagine being in these dark places with the lights off and hearing these kinds of sounds that are going on. I was terrified. Well, John recognizes someone who's not dark, but he's light. And he's even more terrified than he could ever be. But he, it is a personal message to him, but it's not for him. It's not for him. That's the crazy thing. It's actually for the church. Capital C Church, all the churches in the world, all of the people who are gathered to follow Jesus Christ, this is a personal word to us. It's as if Jesus was here with us and he wanted to say these things. In fact, that's actually what happens is he is told by Jesus in his vision, you better write this down. You better get this on paper because this is going to be a message that's going to be for all people, all churches of all times. And it's not going to matter what your ethnicity is. It's not going to matter the size of your church. It's not going to matter what your church is actually like. It's not going to matter where your church is. It's going to be a word to your church. So I can faithfully say I'm excited because Jesus spoke to us in the book of Revelation and said, I have a word for your church. I have a word for your church. 
The book of Revelation is exactly this. It's a revelation of Jesus to John. And uh, let's, let's not mess around here. This is a difficult book to understand. If you've ever read, anyone ever tried to read the book of Revelation? Okay, anyone stopped at chapter 3 or 4 and went like, I have no idea what's going on here, right? I need some sort of a map. I need some translation issues. You know, the, the reality is there are so many different interpretations of Revelation, it'll, it'll make your head spin. And it's difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. It's difficult to get down to the message of what supposed to, in fact, that's one of the reasons why we tackled one of the easier parts of Revelation. Because if you continue on in Revelation, it, I think it gets more complex. Not less important, just more complex. And I think it takes time. And I'll be honest, I'm not ready to take on the rest of the book of Revelation. But I think this particular part is really important to us. What does John initially have to know and what do we need to know as we, as we get into it here? Can we get the, um, the slide going there? The next one. Um, sorry, I, I'm, I'm lost here with my... It's somewhere in there. There we go. That's the message. <laughs> Return. Return. The first message that John is given to the church is return. I want to tell you a little bit about, um, first of all, the author, and then I want to talk about the city that he's writing to, and then I want to talk about the church in that city. And you're going to have to help me out here, Rob, by, by turning those. The author is John. John is the author. Um, you know, modern-day scholarship has basically said, we're not sure which John this is. There's a lot of Johns. You open your Bible. Most commonly, John, the John that wrote the book of Revelation is also the John that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, if you just turn to the left in your page. And why is that even important to know the author? I know you're asking that question here this morning. At least I think you're ask, asking it. What's the big deal about John? But here's the thing is he was a pastor. He was a pastor. And not only that, he was a pastor in one of the churches that he's got a message to. How cool would that be? Like he said, that, like you have pastored this church for a bit and I have a special message for this particular church. The second thing I want to talk about is the city. The city that John was writing to first. And, and again, I don't have a lot of time. Um, you'll have to just come back week after week to hear more about this whole story. See, see what I did there, that little plug there to come week after week? But I want to talk you through what, what he's trying to do when he gets these messages of these seven particular churches. Um, John is writing from this area right there, Patmos. I have a a shot of it coming up in a second. But before that, I want to show you that he's writing from here in exile, apparently. We're not totally sure why he's in exile. We figure he's probably uh, been exiled for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. I know we can do it freely here in this country, but in that time and age, it really was offensive to a lot of those cultures. And so they said, you can't talk about Jesus here, and we'll send you a long way off the coast. This is really, this is modern day Turkey right here. And this right here is, is a long way. Think Alcatraz, but like times about eight, I think. It's about 40 miles or 60 miles off coast. I can't remember offhand. Um, I read it somewhere. Um, but it's a long way, too far to swim, and it's not really that great of an island. Um, today, all, it, all that exists there is, is a monastery that, that is basically there because that was where we figured the, this book was actually written. But he's got a message to these churches 
Seven of them, starting with Ephesus, and even the way that it's ordered in the text actually follows the order by which you would travel around and tell these messages. So you start with Ephesus, and then the second message is for Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. As if, as if Jesus is making a round, going around, and, and, hey, I'm on a trip, and it's logical. So it even makes sense in the way it was written. Now, Ephesus is where we start today. Right there, Ephesus. Believe it or not, I've actually been to Ephesus. It's, it's the only church, uh, ruins, or the only city that I've actually been able to experience firsthand, and it blew my socks off. Uh, it's, it's kind of a crazy place because so much of it has been underground for um, many, many years, and only recently, like in the last hundred years, has, has a lot of the ruins been uncovered. Um, the reason why is it was completely abandoned as a city. Um, it's a, it was a very unusual city, probably at its height was about 250 to 300,000. Now we're talking like 500 BC here. Like, like it was, that's a large city in those days. Houses are tightly crammed in together. You, you, you literally live wall to wall. You live apartment style where your wall is the next person's wall. Um, it was a very important city in the entire world at that time. Probably maybe some people would say maybe fourth or fifth most important city at the time. It held the largest library or the second largest library, um, which is one of the more famous pictures you have of the, the, the library structure itself that has been not reproduced, but reconstructed out of the pieces that are still there. You can go there. Like you walk where this happened today. If you have skeptical this morning about, you know, is this relevant? Well, this was in a real church in a real place. This message. It was a very cosmopolitan city, meaning it accepted a lot of different cultures. That's what cosmopolitan means. They're comfortable with a lot of different cultures, a lot of different religions, and it seemed like no one religion stuck out amongst the others. It was also one of the places that held the, the great um, Temple of Artemis. I'll get you to change the slide there, Rob. And the next one is... This is, this is actually the island of, of Patmos. Um, that's from a webcam that I took this morning. Just kidding, it's not. It's from BiblePlaces.com. You can get it if you want it. That's obviously a bad joke. I'll scratch that in the next time I preach this. Next slide, please, Rob. City. This is what the reconstructed version of the Temple of Artemis would look like. You notice I stole that completely from the Seven Wonders of the World website. Yeah, really high tech, eh? What I didn't want to do was stretch it out. So that's why you've got unders there at the top. But the Temple of Artemis at its time was one of the seven wonders of the world. Still, still is considered that. Seven wonders of the world. This thing is enormous. They, over here you can see this is their rendering of a person right there. That small little thing. This thing was enormous. And it was right in the city of Ephesus. It wasn't just something religious for this particular city because actually it economically drove a lot was what was going on in the city. Uh, they would make these little miniature gods of Artemis and <clears throat> there would be silversmiths who would make these little figurines. And actually, if you read in the book of Acts in your Bible, in the book of Acts chapter 19, you will find out that when the gospel was preached, when Jesus Christ was revealed as the one and only God, the whole city went in a riot. Why were they so angry? Why did they riot? 
Because if Jesus was the only God, then this great Artemis, this great temple, their, their economy would collapse. It would be like taking a shot at oil in our city, right? Someone comes in and says, hey, I've got a, a brand new type of energy that's not oil. Hypothetically. Just shut everything down. I mean, people would riot if you just took away our cars and our trucks. This is, this is the kind of city that it is. It's heavily dependent, not just religiously, but economically on something that's other than Jesus Christ. It's probably why it's so important to this Pastor John to remind them to stay true. Next slide, please, Rob. This is what exists today. <laughs> That's what I find amazing and ironic is that the message to John in Ephesus that the gospel of Jesus Christ lasts forever is with us today and that's what exists from this religion on Artemis. If you want proof that Christianity is powerful, it was faced up against that kind of temple and that's what exists today. In fact, Ephesus would no longer exist after a number of years. Where the city was situated was based upon, it was a port city. But what was amazing, it was right next to the Keister River, which, which is eventually became such an enormous delta that it, it's now seven miles off the coast. It's amazing. Like you travel through this swampy delta. It's like BC, right? Did you know that? Delta BC, it's a delta. Did you know that? It's going to collapse sometime. <laughs> it's a river that's silted in over time. In my opinion, even though I'm not the best engineer, that's not the best place to put a city. And they didn't. They, they eliminated it. Eventually, there was an earthquake that just destroyed Ephesus, and they never returned to it. But until then, John has a word for them. What is that church like? Well, we'll see in a moment. I'll get you to turn the next slide. Rob, this is the message to the church then as we get into this. The first, there's four things I think we see in this particular text. We see first, what Jesus sees. Second, we see what Jesus likes. Third, we see what Jesus dislikes. Fourth, what Jesus promises. So what Jesus sees, what Jesus likes, what Jesus dislikes, and what Jesus promises. That sounds like a pretty good message for any church, doesn't it? You know, if we ask Jesus to come in and monitor our church, and that's what we'd ask for him. Hey, what do you see, Jesus? What do you like about what we're doing? What do you not like about what we're doing? And what do you promise if we mess up? And so I think these are great words for us. You see that in the text, first of all, what Jesus sees. And again, I, I, I'm really skipping through this as fast as I possibly can. Um, apparently, this comes to an angel of the church. And that's how John receives his vision. And he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. It's not an accidental. Even the number seven isn't accidental. Can't go into that. But it's as if these churches are like lampstands. And the person who's lighting the lampstands or responsible for the lampstands is walking around them. I mean, he knows what's going on. These are his lampstands. He didn't just stumble across them. He lit them himself. And he's walking amongst the lampstands. And so this particular way that it's written wants to establish the authority of the messenger. 
But the messenger is Jesus, and Jesus has authority because he created the lampstands. I mean, this issue of authority is so important for us to understand if we're ever going to listen to any message. You know, you need that if you face anything. Let's just say you get a hefty fine of $2,000, okay? Shows up in your mail, okay? You got a a ticket that says you owe $2,000. Now, you want to know the authority of the person who gave you that ticket, right? Because if the government gave you that ticket, you're like, oh, I, I got to pay that ticket. City of Calgary gives you that ticket, you got to pay that ticket. Your three-year-old gives you that ticket, you're like, I don't got to pay that ticket. They don't have any authority to do this. And by the way, they will try to do that to you. They'll tell you, you owe me. True story. One of my daughters said, hey, hey dad, um, can I have some money to go get a Slurpee? And I said, I don't have any on me. She said, that's okay, you can borrow it from me and pay me back later. I was like, what? you don't have the authority to do that. That doesn't even make sense. She literally said that. True story. They'll try to pull that on you thinking they have the authority to do that. And I said, you don't have the authority to tell me that. I have the authority. Now here's your money. <laughs> this is what Jesus is saying. I put the light in the light stands. I put the lamps there. I created the lampstands. I lit them. It's my church. I get to say what I want to say about the church. And here's what he sees. Next slide. What he sees, first of all, he tells us what he likes about this particular church. That's there in verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested themselves are tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and, and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. And there's three things here that we see. First of all, and they're, they're actually all related. They're, they're kind of one message, but there's three aspects of this one particular message. And this is the message. Hey, they work hard. They work hard. They work at this. He likes that. I love that about Jesus. He likes that we work hard as a church. What do they work hard at? Well, they, they work hard at their doctrine. They work hard at their teaching. I, w- I would say that's one of, one of our values here at Urban Grace as well. We want to work hard at the teaching. It takes time to figure out what Jesus is saying sometimes. Some books more than others. I spend time trying to decipher what the Word of God says for our community. It's hard work. I'm tired. When you go and read your Bible and you try and figure out what Jesus is saying, it probably doesn't come that naturally to you, does it? It's probably hard work. Like, I I haven't met anyone in our church who said, boy, you know, the next thing I knew, I read my Bible from cover to cover. It was weird. I was just sitting on the couch and it just happened. No, it doesn't. It happens when you work hard at it. When you open your Bible, you follow a plan, you try to figure out what the words mean, you get some help. It's hard work. And Jesus says, I love that about you. I love that about the church. I love your hard work. I like that you don't just do it once. I like that you do it more than once. They endure, he says. They endure patiently. Meanwhile, there's like, ah, man, I've been working hard for like two minutes. That's not hard work. That's like a short burst of work. But Jesus says, I love that you don't just work hard. I love that you just 
go after it again and again and again. You just, you're relentless in your pursuit of the truth. You're relentless in finding out what the Bible actually says. You're relentless in hearing a word. You're relentless in protecting this teaching. All throughout the New Testament, all you hear is the protection of the message. Protect the message. We protect it by proclaiming it, by the way, is how the Bible talks. You save it by using it. You protect it by proclaiming it. He says, you've done that. You've used this word. You endure at this over and over and over again. But it takes time for this to happen. You know, when you train for a marathon, hypothetically, again speaking, I've wanted to train for a marathon, but one of the reasons why I don't like training for a marathon is it takes a lot of time. If, if, if I could, I would train for a marathon like one week. I'd just get it all done in one week. Is that how you train for a marathon? You actually hurt yourself when you do that. You can actually hurt your body. You can get stress fractures if you try to do that. What happens if you try and eat healthy one day of the week and the rest you don't? It doesn't work. It requires long endurance at this. If you want to run a marathon, you have to train for days, no, weeks, maybe, more like what? Months. If you want to really do it well, you, you've got to do it for years. And if you're out of shape like me, decades. And this is not a sprint. Jesus says, I love that you don't understand this as a sprint, that you understand this as a marathon. I love that about you. May, may we take encouragement from that, that there is something to plugging away at what we do. I mean, this is such a good word for me personally. I don't know about you, but there are days when it's just discouraging to do what you're doing. You ever find you're discouraged with life, where you're at, what you're doing, how your spiritual life is going? Sometimes you're like, I, I didn't get anything out of this. I, I went to church and this guy ranted and raved about this crazy letter written to a church that's 2,000 years old. I didn't get a thing out of it. I know, I'm there with you. This is hard work and it requires like patient endurance. But Jesus says he loves that about us. He loves when we endure. In fact, he says, that's who I really deliver my salvation to. Those who endure to the end. That's his description. His salvation is there for those who, by faith, walk by faith, not by sight, for their life. Not for a week. Not even for a year, but for their life. What else does he say? He goes, oh, I love that you discern. Oh, I love it. I know you, are, uh, uh, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, not and found them to be false. So there were teachers. I've got to explain some of these words to you because you probably don't use them very often. Apostle. It's used a variety of different ways. The translation of, of apostle is sent one. And so in a way, everyone who's kind of sent is an apostle. But it's also used in another way, and you probably know it if you watch late night religious television. Right? What's, what's apostle often used in that context? Authority, right? Go get me something because I'm an apostle. I have all this because I'm an apostle. 
That's exactly what the teachers were saying. They were saying this crazy teaching, apparently, but they were saying, hey, we're apostles. And, and the, the Ephesian church was like, well, let's check. Let's check for your credentials. A sent one will give us the true message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ lived on this earth, that he was sent by God, that he came as a person to live the perfect life and then die a, a death in payment for our sins. That, that's the message. And these teachers apparently, and we'll get into that because one of the other churches had the same group come to them as well. But they weren't able, that other church was not able to fend off the doctrine and basically the doctrine was what you say has nothing to do with what you do. That's false. If anyone ever tells you that if you believe in Jesus, he has grace for you and you can live however you want, that is not the truth. You can reject that outright, even though you don't know a lot else. And Jesus says to the Ephesian church, I love that you spotted this. I love that you tested them out. I love that. I love that. That's why it's important to us. Testing things out. Testing character in people's lives. Testing if they can teach. We have city group leaders. We don't just appoint city group leaders to those who have the biggest house. We test them. We test what they're going to teach. We test what they're like at home. We test whether the, the things they say match up with the way that they act. We test if they know and understand who Jesus is. We test if they love Jesus or not. That's important to us as, as well. And what, what I love is Jesus says, good job in that. Good job in that. You can almost hear him slap in the back of this church. Now, like every other message, there's some positive and some negative, right? Jesus is smart. He knows that if he comes out and just is harsh, it won't be as effective as, as if he simply couches and said, here's what you do well, but now for the tougher news, here's, here's what I don't like. And this is also a word for us. Here's what I don't like. He said, I know you are patiently, enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you Repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's a, it's a good word for us, but here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you have been so concerned with caring for the truth. You have been so concerned with making sure that your teaching is right. That you've actually forgotten why you even exist. You, you need to return to that. You've forgotten that the reason why you exist is that somebody told you the message of the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ and you've forgotten how good that really is. It's always a temptation for us, friends. Always. It's so easy to get distracted with what we're doing and, and how hard we're working and the, and the teaching. And believe me, I've been part of, and perhaps even in this church, been guilty of protecting, the, being more concerned about the doctrine that we have as a church 
than loving Jesus himself who gave us the doctrine. It's a constant temptation for every church. We're talking about a solid, word-loving church here. We're not talking about some kooks who don't know how to teach and don't know how to work hard and don't know how to keep at it. They knew how to do that. What they had forgotten was their first love. There's two aspects to this. Even the commentators don't always agree on on the emphasis either way. And so I'll give both to you because I think both are in the text. He says, you've abandoned the love you had at first, but therefore return to the works you did at first. So there's kind of two parts to this. What's the word repent mean? Repent means to turn around 180 degrees. You can use it in not religious scenarios. Like if a race, I watched a, a bike race where the, the rider was riding this way and he had to repent. He had to turn around 180 degrees because he went off track, turn around and come back. That's what that means. It's really s- s- simple direction. Repent means to turn around and go back. Return. You've abandoned the love you had at first. I think that's such a good word for us because I think some of us can feel especially if you have heard this message before, like, this church is for me. This church is for me. This church is so that I can be blessed. But that's not how you heard the message. You heard the message when this church reached out. When this church helped you understand the goodness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and this is the first, very first time you've ever heard this word. And to that I would say, the church actually, believe it or not, exists for you. And Jesus has a message to the rest of us and says, remember your first love. Remember the goodness of Jesus Christ. Remember what it was like to be lost and now found. You've lost that love. Have you ever met someone who has just become a Christian? If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is what it's like. They have all kinds of passion. I remember, being, I remember seeing right in a church, someone became a Christian and they were so excited, they just had to tell somebody. Have right? you ever met someone like that? They just discover something new and it's so new to them, they just won't shut up about it. If you don't know what I mean, just get on Facebook. You'll hear it. Like, hey, I just discovered this. And I'm like, everyone else has already discovered this. But you know what it was? New to them. And they couldn't stop talking about it. Jesus says, remember what that was like? Remember when the message that Jesus Christ is, and I'll I'll put a a coal in there and I'll say, is what? Jesus Christ is what? This is what John says. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who was to come. This is who Jesus is. From the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, a kingdom of priests to God the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him, all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And that Jesus invites you in to be part of his kingdom. Don't 
Forget that. Return to the one who first loved you. It's so easy for us to to miss that particular aspect. To miss that what we are here for is to introduce people to the one who created this world. To the one who will come again. To the one who is king and has dominion over everything. I know some of you don't believe that yet, but I do. That is the truth. Whether we believe it or not, that's actually what the text says. You're going to reconcile whether or not Jesus is king one day. You're going to find out. And Jesus, through his loving kindness, puts churches in place so that they may then proclaim the gospel message, help people get to know this God, help them understand that he is in control over all things, help them understand how to be a kingdom of priests, help them understand what the word of God says. But the church does not exist for itself. And here's what Jesus says, if you forget that, I am going to put your lamp out. You see, that image of the lampstand is so powerful there. I know this is going to be difficult for you to do at this time in the morning, but, but think with me for a second. What is the purpose of a candle other than like to make your house smell good right now? But think back in the 2,000 years ago where that was the way things were lit. See the hint there? What would you light a candle for? To light things up. To illuminate you're going in a dark place, what do you do? You light a candle so that you can see what's there and where you're going and how to avoid the enormous pit in front of you. That's what a light is for. And Jesus says, I'm warning you, don't forget this. I'm the one who lights the lampstand and I can be the one who puts it out. And if you do not return to this great love for me and an understanding of what I put you in this place for. I'll, I'll, I'll take it out. Remember the picture I showed of the temple of Artemis? Remember even that city? Remember the church in Ephesus? I mean, I, I was in Turkey with my wife. And friends, that lampstand is gone. At some point, they forgot. Here's the warning to us as a church. How do we make sure we're going to exist for a long time? By never forgetting our first love. By never forgetting that this is of critical importance for our church. That we do not exist simply for the comfort of ourselves but for the constant and consistent and faithful proclamation of the gospel and the living of that out in our lives. That's how we know Jesus promises never to put our lamp out, never to put our light out. 
I know this is Jesus speaking because some 50 years earlier he said the same thing. And here's what he said. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it, but puts it on the stand so that those who enter may see the light. Friends, if you wonder why we repeat the gospel message each and every week, it's because this. It's what we believe and it's how we're going to keep this church in existence. And I don't have to point fingers, but go ahead and do a careful examination of some of the denominations that have forgotten that proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is important. They do not exist anymore. It's an important word for that church. I think it's a good word for us, for our church. And here's how Jesus ends. He says this simply. He who has ears, let him hear. You can hear that as, as masculine or feminine. It's not either or. They who have ears, let them hear. It was Jesus' way of saying, there's some, that, some, of you, some of you that are going to pay attention to this and some that won't. Ouch, that hurts. And there's a number of us that are going to not think this is that important. But there are some of us that, is, that are going to think this is important. This word is such a convicting word for me. Because I, I am one that's struggling to endure patiently. I'm impatient. I don't know about you. Are you impatient? You want to see more stuff happen? You want to see Jesus bless our church family? You want to see us succeed? Jesus says you will succeed when you remember your first love. You, you can throw in there loving one another. You can throw in there loving him with all our heart, mind, and soul. The Bible doesn't actually differentiate the, between the two. The Bible actually says when you love God, you will love people. Because true love of God is, is, is you can't keep it inside of you. It must come out. Because the love of God is not simply for you. You're simply a steward of this. And you are meant not to just eat for yourself. You are meant to pass it on. You are meant to, to talk about it. You are meant to be part of a church that proclaims it. You are meant to be one of Jesus's kingdoms, priests. As we close here this morning, I, I'm sure there's some of you that, hey, we, we didn't get everything here. I know. I know we didn't. There's a lot here. I want you to come back because each week we're going to try and unpack another letter and it's, it's going to have some similarities and so it's going to be helpful for you. But as we close and we ask the band to come up, here's, here's what I want to do as we close this thing out. Jesus gave us something very special. It's called the family meal. That's what we call it. You may know it as the Eucharist. You may know it as the Lord's Supper. You may know it as the elements. You may not know what it is at all, but here's what it is. It's a symbolic reminder of who's in authority. 
It's a symbolic reminder of how you got to be where you are. It's a symbolic reminder of who is in charge of the church. It's a symbolic reminder of who can ultimately save you and give you hope. It's a a symbolic reminder of, of the great love and sacrifice of God for you. You know, one of the things I'm reading about is that good churches send their best. And what I love about that is that's based upon Jesus. Where God, who is God's best. He sent his best to us. He, spent, he sent his number one to us so that me, we might receive forgiveness and hope and be part of a church family that loves us and helps us and proclaims the gospel. And, and that is simply this morning what you're celebrating when you partake. Isn't it magic? Your sins don't wash away the moment you... You partake, but it's a reminder of what you're part of and a reminder of the goodness and grace. And so as we sing, I ask you to consider, consider that as you remember.